Do you remember the car or the vehicle that you learned how to drive in? He might just spit it out. This is you, Brother Bob. Ford pickup, 40, 1940 Ford pickup truck. 55 Chevy. I knew if Ford was mentioned, Chevy was soon to be mentioned right after that, right? 72 Dodge, 1954. Oh, Studebaker. 69 Toyota Corona. One more. 49 Chevy. I learned to drive a 1972 Toyota stick shift. I was 15 years old. We had this old, obviously used, this was in 1986-ish. It was a 1972 Toyota stick shift, four-speed, not five. So I remember trying to learn how to drive this stick shift and trying to learn how to navigate the clutch, the brake, the gas pedal, and to shift at the same time. And let me just tell you, epic fail. Man, that thing would cut off, cut off, cut off, cut off, and I'd get like, oh, I can't do this. I don't, I don't, oh, junk. I'm going to have a wreck. Oh, I mean, it was, it was a disaster. Finally, finally got the hang of it. Well... I remember when I was in driver's ed, the man that was teaching us and taking us out, I remember if he said it once, he said it a thousand times. He'd say, now, accelerate, brake, slow down, accelerate, brake. And then when we get to the right speed, he'd say, now look, you maintain, maintain this speed. But he'd say, Now just keep it right here in the middle. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Keep it right here in the middle. Keep it in this lane. Keep it in the middle of the lane. You see the lines on either side? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Yes, sir. Keep it right here in the middle. In in chapter 8 and chapter 9, Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul has already addressed this issue of, here it is, Christian liberty. Specifically, in the area of, as he talked about and we learned, eating meat offered or sacrificed to idols. In other words, eating meat that had been associated with pagan festivals and pagan temples. Now at the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Paul circles back to it. It's obvious that God in His infinite wisdom allows you and I as Christians to exercise individual liberty in, in, in various practices and in issues that the Scripture does not address. Hear me. But Christianity has long been plagued by two extremes. Certainly as it relates to personal practices and individual soul liberty. There's the extreme of what I call legalism on this side. And then there's the extreme of looseness on this side. And it's not just a 2021 problem. It goes all the way back to the first century church. 
In fact, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, uh, in his letters, he deals with a church that erred on the extreme of legalism. That was the church at Galatia. And then here in Corinth is a prime example of him dealing with some Christians who erred on the side of looseness. That's interesting that these last seven years and three months as pastor, uh, we've been accused of being legalist by some. <laughs> we've been accused of being loose or liberal. That term has even been thrown around <laughs> by some as well. And so I know we're not legalist. <laughs> At least we don't want to be. <laughs> I know we're not liberals or loose. At least we don't want to be. Uh, and so, uh, I figure that, that, that we're, we are trying to do what I believe every Christian in every church should do, and that's hold to a biblical balance. Not erring toward legalism, which is a man-centered approval or man-self-generated righteousness. That's not what we are aiming for or want to be a part of. Neither do we want to be living a life or promoting a lifestyle that is totally disregards God's clearly revealed word and what God here. That's what Paul is showing us. He is showing the Corinthian Christians and us as well on how we can adopt and live out through the power of the Holy Spirit that biblical balance. So lean in and listen carefully this morning as we go through the text. Would you notice truth number one, that we should seek to contribute as we live life, as we're trying to keep our spiritual vehicle in the middle where we should be in this biblical balance we should seek to contribute to the spiritual health and benefit of others. That's truth number one. Would you notice verse 23? Paul says, notice this statement, this phrase he makes, all things are lawful for me. Would you stop right there just a moment? Some of you are thinking right now, you know what, I think we've seen this statement made somewhere before in 1 Corinthians, and you'd be exactly right. We have seen this. We saw it back in chapter 6, verse 12. He brings it up again. Many scholars believe that that phrase, that statement, all things are lawful, uh, believe, uh, they believe Paul is quoting a popular phrase that epitomized that prevailing sentiment of the Corinthian culture. Uh, some say that this statement, all things are lawful, was made by a Greco-Roman orator that had origins there in Corinth. And so truly it was a Corinthian statement. It was popularized by those around Corinth and in that day. And basically it was a worldview that said that I can do whatever I want. It's my life. It's my business. It's my choices. It's my prerogative. Paul wasn't giving an endorsement at all of that worldview, but simply pointing out and acknowledging that this faulty thinking was affecting the spiritual decision-making of these Corinthians. But ladies and gentlemen, this might be the culture and practical philosophy even today of so many around us, but I want you to know, based on the authority of the Bible, it has no place in the mentality of somebody that's following Jesus. 
because he says, you have the attitude that all things are lawful. But listen carefully. He says in verse 23, but all things are not expedient. In other words, all things are not helpful. All things don't build up others. All things do not edify other believers around us. Sometimes not all things would edify our immediate family members or our inner circle are the ones in our sphere of influence, are the ones we're trying to disciple, trying to mentor, trying to influence. Do you know that on average it is said that every day seven different people watch your life closely? Every day. That means your example, whether we understand it or recognize it or not, your example and mine bears an influence and an impact on other people. One writer said, just because something is permitted doesn't mean it's beneficial or helpful. Essentially, they went on to say, instead of wanting to go forward with Jesus as much as they could, these Corinthian Christians wanted to know how much they could get away with and still be Christians. And can I say this, dear one, that is the wrong approach to take to living your spirituality out. The right question is not how close can I get to sin? How close can I get to the world and still be okay? That's not the right question. In fact, that question is not motivated by a sincere heart toward godliness. That question is motivated more times than not by our own carnality. And God help us. For me and mine, I'm going to get what's mine. No, 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 no. Paul said, no, don't live your spiritual life that way. You look out and seek to benefit other people. Have on your brain what their, the, the, the spiritual welfare of somebody else is. He said, that's the, that's the balance I want you to have. That's, the, that's what I want you to seek after. You see, they were asking, how can my words, my actions, my decisions hurt me? But the better question was, how can my words, actions, and decisions be hurting other people? So truth number one, he says, that we ought to seek to contribute to the spiritual health and benefit of others. Remember the old children's song, Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Little ears, be careful, little eyes. What can I tell you? Let's turn that around. Oh, be careful, big feet, (laughs) where you go. Oh, be careful, big mouth. I don't don't mean big mouth, but you know. Oh, be careful, adult eyes, what you see. Because it's not just the Father up above looking down. For those of us in here, it could be the little eyes of children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and these young people and teenagers in our church watching us and learning from us. Your mouth speaks loudly, but your life speaks infinitely louder than your mouth. You see, our words speak, but our example screams. I believe this is what he's talking about. 
You make sure that we live life, you're living life, according to biblical principles, and it is not wrong. In fact, it is certainly godly and okay to say, okay, Lord, how are my actions here going to impact potentially someone else? And then he says truth number two. Look at, look at verse 25. He says we ought to avoid asking unnecessary questions that yield no reasonable or biblical benefit. (laughs) He said, whatever is sold in the shambles, that literally means the marketplace, the meat market, okay? He says, whatever is sold in the meat market, that you eat, eat it. If it's set in front of you, eat it, he says. Asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. He quotes Psalm 24.1. And he says, listen, listen. If you are prone to have an oversensitive or a hypersensitive conscience, and you're invited to someone's home to eat, or someone sets meat or a plate of food down in front of you, don't ask, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, where does food come from? Where'd you, where'd you get this at? No, no. He said, just, just eat it. Why? Because it's food. It's meat. There's nothing intrinsically evil or sinful or unspiritual about it. He said, eat it. <laughs> because the Lord owns it. it is, this is interesting. I love what, what, what one writer said. He said. Verse 25, it's interesting. Uh, he is saying that if you don't know whether or not the meat was used in pagan worship, there's no need to ask and get your conscience stirred up. You see, many of us do have hypersensitive consciences about some things and dulled consciences about other things that we need to have sensitive consciences about. Here's a good rule to operate by, I think. Have a hypersensitive conscience about the things God has clearly addressed in Scripture. And have a Holy Spirit-led conscience at all. You see, let's, let's, if we're going to die on a certain hill, if we're going to make a certain issue our Alamo that we're going to defend and die on, let's make sure that it's something that the Scripture clearly addresses. And if the Lord doesn't clearly address it in the Bible, then you allow the Holy Spirit to lead and govern and guide you. If the Holy Spirit tells you not to do it, don't you do it. Paul covered that. That's what we talked about about six weeks ago in preaching that other message about Christian liberty. If the Holy Spirit doesn't give you the green light, don't you do it because then you would be sinning because it would be a sin to violate your conscience in that way. But it's interesting to me, gang, how much, how many times I get hung up on stuff that the Lord doesn't want me to get hung up on. And he said, don't be asking questions that you really don't need to ask. Don't get into a debate, especially with unbelievers over eating of meat, he said. It's interesting, Paul isn't warning here about eating a meal with unbelievers. He's simply warning against eating these meals as a form of pagan worship. But the point is, avoid unnecessary questions. 
I think that's the same thing Paul was saying in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22, when he said, Flee youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, or ignorant questions. That's literally what it means. Stop asking ignorant questions. Stop asking questions, he says, where all they do is generate strife. You're just being petty. Stop buying into pettiness, he says. Then he says in Titus 3, 8 and 9, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. That's that biblical balance. These things are good and profitable unto men. But, verse 9, avoid foolish questions. And contentions, that's arguings and arguments, and strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and vain. So number three principle. You still with me? Say amen. amen. We should modify our liberty if our actions would be a means of offense to someone else. You see, in verse 28, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought he said that if blah, blah, no, no, no. Listen to what he says now. Let's take the full text here. Verse 28. But if any man say to you, okay, now before you eat this, I want you to know this meat has been offered in sacrifice to idols. He's saying if you know it, going into it, then that's a game changer. That changes it all together. If they tell you ahead of time, before they set it down in front of you, now I'm just letting you know, this meat What he's saying is if anyone says to you, hey, this meat was offered to idols, then don't eat it. Paul has in mind here that you would not be conscious that we do have, as he has said in other places in Scripture, we do have a responsibility to the weaker brother. How might our actions be a means of offense and a means of stumbling to someone else? You ever thought about that? Could, in fact, our actions contribute to the disobedience or the weakening of someone else's spirituality? I think it can happen a couple of ways happens by sending the wrong message of sanctioning and condoning sin. In this case, it was giving the appearance that they were sanctioning or condoning idolatry. But you and I, I'm afraid at times, can be careless in living out our Christian liberty and we perhaps can, can venture over and can give the wrong impression that maybe uh, would lead to someone actually going down that path. And then we can do this by hurting the conscience of a weaker brother and potentially leading them down a road that leads to sin. You see, you and I may have the ability, the God-given ability to, in moderation, do such a thing or to keep our proper distance about some issue, but one with a weaker conscience who has a maybe a greater susceptibility to that temptation, they may not be able to stop or they may not be able to keep their distance. We need to be conscious of that and be aware of that. 
Here's the principle, though. The principle is Christian liberty within the limits of Christian love. Christian love asks the question, not what is in my interest, but Christian love asks the question about the best interest of the weaker brother. What is truly in their best interest? Again, he's not dealing with pettiness here, but with a true issue of something being a stumbling block. And he says, I don't want you to be a stumbling God doesn't want you to be a stumbling block. Again, you be led by the Holy Spirit and he'll guide you. Principle number four, we should ultimately and most importantly seek to please Jesus in everything. Would you look at verse 31? He says, hey, whether therefore you eat or you drink, whatever, he said, you do all to the glory of God. Make sure that you can say beyond the shadow of any doubt that 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 I am doing is bringing glory to the name of Jesus. And if you can't say that, if you can't say that, then don't do it. If it doesn't lift up Jesus, it doesn't honor Jesus, it doesn't please Jesus, and it's not in step with how Jesus created us to live our lives under His Lordship, then I don't need to do it. You see, it's not about me living life to make the preacher happy. It's not about me living and making decisions. Oh, what, what do the deacons think? No, no, no. It's not what does, it's not even what does my wife think? That, that, that's not the, no, I mean, that's important, but, but that's not the ultimate thing. Okay. Right. It's not, Hey, what do my kids think? What do my parents think? What does this church member think? What does so-and-so think? No, 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 no. Gang, the main issue is what does Jesus say? Does this honor the Lord? Does this please Jesus? It's a good day in my life and yours when we cease attempting to please people and we get to a point where we please the Lord Christ. I'm not going to shade this way or shade that way or prefer this group or that group. No, 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 without partiality. He said, you seek to follow the example of Jesus and benefit others. And then verse 33, Paul says, even as I please all men in all things. He's already made that statement here in this chapter. Not seeking my own profit. I'm not trying to improve myself. I'm not seeking my own comfort, my own benefit. But I'm seeking the profit, the blessing, the benefit, the spiritual welfare of many people. Here it is, that they may be saved. Chapter 11, verse 1, very next phrase. You be followers of me. He doesn't stop there. He says, you be followers of me even as I am a follower of Jesus. In other words, Paul doesn't say, all right, y'all line up behind me. No, no, no. He says, you line up behind me, follow me because I've lined up behind Jesus and I'm following his example. Souls in God's glory. Souls, God's glory. As Charles Stanley says, I heard him say this 
28 years ago, 27 years ago. Our life, you can summarize our Christian life into two things. Worship and witness. Worship and witness. Worship and witness. I'm pleasing Jesus and I'm seeking to see people saved. I think that's a pretty good way to summarize life. Again, he's not talking about not offending the legalism of someone else. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about subscribing to everybody else's checklist for you. That's not what he's talking about. No, 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 no. He is talking about living life that's motivated by one holy passion. Gang, hear me carefully. And that's the glory of Jesus. And then the salvation of souls. The truth is, Christian liberty is very much a gospel issue. Chief on the heart of Paul was the glory of Jesus and the salvation of souls. I want that to be chief on my heart. Because I feel a tug sometimes to veer over in this ditch of being a man pleaser and a, a checklister and just a rule keeper. And then some, I feel a tendency over into this ditch to see what I can get by with, to see how close to a line I can get See what I can get by with. Live a little loose. Make a few little compromises. Oh, it won't matter. Oh, it won't. It's not a big deal. You feel that tug. I feel that tug. And God says, no. You stay out of this. And you stay out of that. And you keep it right here in the middle. That's where I want to live. And that's where, by the help of the Holy Spirit of God, this is where He's going to help us live.